Welcome to another episode of Two Peas on a Podcast. Counting down movies, music, TV, and pop culture. One top five at a time. And now, here are the two peas. Welcome into a special edition, a very special episode of Two Peas on a Podcast. I'm so glad that you're here with us again. And this is my favorite episode of the year, every year. This is the fourth year we've been doing this, where we basically count down our favorite films of the prior year. We always try to put it out, you know, around January after we've had a chance to see as many of those films as possible. And I get a couple frequent collaborators and buddies of mine to come along with me. We are discussing 2020, of course, tonight. Thank God it's over. Am I right, guys? <laughs> 2020. Bye-bye. <laughs> Death to 2020, I say. <laughs> yes. Uh, let's say hello to the panel. They were here last year when we did the films of 2019, and they are back. We're a motley crew, the three of us. But say hello to Amanda from Pod Appetite. Amanda, how are you? <laughs> Doing okay. How about you? I'm good. You ready to talk movies of 2020 here? We're going to talk a little bit about how crazy of a year it was. but Yeah, hopefully. it's just uh, 2020. What a year, guys. I'm like, <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah uh, what, else, what else can you say? <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's basically it. Wow, that's basically all you can really say. Uh, and then you know this guy, he is on way too often. Uh, he's basically the other P at this point. But mm-hmm. my boy Dan from over at Netflix and Swill, who's mm-hmm. been over on the Patreon feed a countless number of times, and he's also been on the main show here many, many times. Dan is back. What's up, brother? How are you? I'm just here to keep you in check, Gerald. That's all it is. I know how you're going to get tonight about certain movies, and I'm here to bring you back down to a normal level. All right, well, good, because I'm here to broaden your mind a little, open up your heart a smidge no it's not gonna happen 2020 only sealed my heart (laughs) all right well that's fair that's fair we're discussing our favorite films of 2020 we've been planning this one for a while uh you guys knew really all of last year that you were going to be doing this so then march came right and this Uh whole thing called this whole thing called covid uh snuck up on us and the next thing you know all the movie theaters are closed all the movie studios are you know kind of in disarray they don't know what they're going to do months go by stuff starts showing up on streaming platforms over the summer and you know these these deals are entered into with different studios you know warner brothers just did their deal with hbo max recently and so that's the world we're in right so with that being said and with that kind of as as an intro i'm gonna throw it to amanda first where was your 2020 viewing movie viewing experience how was it did you get enough movies in how different was it for you how did it feel it was very different. I mean, I think I talked about last year, I thought 2019 was weird because I had had a hip replacement and I wasn't able to go to the movie theater as much as I normally do. And I was like pumped for 2020 because I was going to get back in the swing of, you know, on average seeing probably a movie or two a week at the theater. Dan, uh, you know, you you're, your grassroots are Netflix and Swill, so you're generally speaking, you know, streaming a lot of stuff anyway. Yeah. W- what was 2020 like for you, man, as far as movies go? We, you and I saw 
Invisible Man together, mm-hmm. and then I think we accidentally saw Sonic the Hedgehog in the same movie theater. <laughs> oh, yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. You're bringing back memories of that, because I was checking into it, and you were like, are you in theater number six or like whatever it was? And I didn't get that till the movie was over, and I was like, yeah, I was in there, and I was already in my car with my kid, and I, we, we realized we were in the same movie together. Yeah. It was like 10 o'clock in the morning or something. Yeah, totally accidentally, because I go, I do like first theater, like first showings, because like less kids, less noisy people, because like, let's be honest, I hate people. Like, yeah, generally, sure. I despise people. So sure. I try to go when there's nobody at the movie theater and so I can, like, enjoy myself. And mm-hmm. uh, Yeah, you know, it's funny you're bringing back those memories because I did see that. That must have been in March, too, right, Dan? Or maybe, yeah, I guess March, Early right? Early March, late February. So I, 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 yeah. I, remember see, I remember seeing Sonic, that screening that you're talking about, and then my son and I also saw Onward probably that same week or there thereabouts. And then you and I went to see Invisible Man. So that all happened within a couple week time frame. And then it was like the bottom fell out, like in mid-March. And it was just like fucking everything's closed, canceled. Like, you yeah. know. We were even planning on seeing other stuff around mm-hmm. that time before yeah. the theaters closed. I don't we remember what made, it was, but we were going to watch something. I remember we, were, we had made a plan because we saw the trailer for The Hunt. Remember? That's it. Yeah, we're like, oh, we're fucking seeing that. And then it was like, no, we're not. <laughs> So we, you know, I spent the 20 bucks and watched it at home or whatever, but we didn't get to see it in the theater. This isn't a, you know, a COVID podcast or whatever, but I'll just say, I remember it just happened really quickly. Like Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it was kind of like, you know, whisperings about it and like, oh, this might be bad or this might not be something you want to mess with. And it was in China. Electric Boogaloo. (laughs) Right. And then it was just like, you woke up one morning and like I said, I'm in food service. I didn't even know if my restaurant was going to be open day to day back in the spring. Like I had no idea if I was going to have a job the next day. That's how bad it was. Um, uh, and it just, I remember it happened really quick. Like it was like everything was somewhat normal one day. And then the next day it was like 28 days later, the movie, you know, it was crazy. Yeah. I was um, working on a play. Like, so my best friend and I, like we went and saw that movie and we got some lunch and then we, we like went and worked on the play that night that we were both working on. Mm-hmm. And that ended up being the last night of the show. We were supposed to have another weekend and everything shut down the next day. Hmm. All right, guys, so our top five movies of 2020, you're on the P's. So, of course, you're going to have honorable mentions at the end, or at least I hope so. And we'll talk about some of these movies that we love this last year. Some of them we may have seen in the theater. Most of them we probably saw at home and streamed in some capacity. But real quick, I want to mention, I know you two guys know a lot about this, but I do this thing every year where I celebrate film because obviously the reason we're doing this episode and really one of the main reasons I even have a podcast to begin with, as you two will probably attest to as well, is that we just love movies and we love being entertained. So in an effort to celebrate film, I poll the film community, I poll the podcast and Twitter community, and I come up with nominees for the best movies and the best performances of each given year. Very similar to what you would see in a lot of awards uh, shows like the Golden Globes and Oscars and so on. And we do our own kind of version of that. It's called the Golden Peas, which is a fun little play on words, I think. But me and Andy came up with that when we started the show. And back then we would just name our favorites, you know, so Andy would just give me his favorite movie of the year and I would give him mine and then we would do TV show and so on and so on. And it's kind of evolved into what it is now where there's a whole ballot. And like I said, the communities kind of helped me uh, mold that ballot. So thank you guys uh, specifically for helping me do that. But I just want to run a little promo for that and want to kind of get people aware that that's coming. Uh, The ballot is live as of the uh, live date of this episode, January 20th. So voting is open from January 20th until March 1st. And then we will announce the winners on March 15th. But here's a quick promo, guys. And when we come back, Amanda and Dan are going to help me count down our top five movies of 2020. So stay tuned. 
Hello, listeners. I want to talk to you for one second real quick about the Golden Pea Movie Awards, referred to lovingly as the Golden Peas. Every year, I take the opportunity to celebrate the year in film, and 2020 is no different. Please head over to twopeasonapod.com slash goldenpeas and find all of the nominees as well as links to a ballot that you can use to vote. Voting is open from January 29th until March 1st of 2021. We feature all of the main categories that you will find at shows like the Golden Globes and the Oscars, but we poll the film and Twitter and podcast community to get those nominees. And as you know, they are chosen by you. So please cast a ballot, head over. Once again, it's twopeasonapod.com slash goldenpeas. We love movies and we love celebrating movies. And we hope you come to the party this year. All right, guys, welcome back. So real quick, we're going to get into our top five films of the year. But I do this to you guys every year. And Amanda, I don't know if this is going to happen this year. But every year, the last two years that you've been on this episode, mm-hmm. you, you stumble over this question. <laughs> but let's see if you're ready this time. <laughs> Third time's a charm. Yeah. Tw- 2020, as a year in film and cinema, we already talked about how fucking crazy it was from a COVID perspective and theater going perspective. What grade would you give the year in film? All right. I'm prepared. I knew hey, this was happening. Nice. <laughs> Figured it out. Nice. Uh, yeah. I thought about this a lot this week as I was preparing. And honestly, I'm at like a C plus because I just okay. feel like it's been such a strange year. And I feel like we've gotten a lot of just kind of meh streaming movies. And a lot of mm-hmm. the stuff that I think we were hoping for either hasn't fully been released um, mm-hmm. or has completely been postponed. And I I'll be honest, I found myself returning to a lot of older films this year, more so than new movies. Okay. All right. Dan, what about you, man? I think a C-plus is about right. We're in that C range. I don't like this year in terms of movies, mm. uh, so much so that I have told you, Gerald, multiple times, uh, I don't have a four-and-a-half or five-star movie from this year. And, I mean, comparing it to last year, I had, like, three or four four-and-a-half to, four to five-star movies and felt really strongly about the rest of my top ten. Mm-hmm. Uh, my the, my honorable mentions are an absolute shit show, <laughs> in, in, in all honesty. Like, yeah, I like the movies, but they're they have some very notable flaws or they don't excel in that good of a way like simply yeah. put they're like three and a half mm-hmm. and that's not like that's not normal and it shouldn't be normal for any year in movies for me mm-hmm. but what i was going to say is this was really a three-headed race for me there's three movies that i feel like are phenomenal and, and just like leaps and bounds above the pack and then after that three it kind of drops off a cliff uh-huh. i mean there's movies that i really enjoy that are going to round out my top 10 tonight but they're not like those three in particular that I'm talking about that are ultimately going to be my top three this evening. I, you know, and I agree with you guys. I'll say, you know, like a like a C plus is probably a fair, you know, maybe a B minus, a C plus. Whereas the last couple of years are probably more in the B plus, A minus range. So just looking at my, you know, because I do my letterbox, I'm not sharing it publicly right this this moment, but I'm looking at it and I have 20 films on there. And kind of like what Dan was saying, I mean, after that, like number eight or nine, it's kind of like, yeah, I mean, these are okay, but <laughs> I mean, you know, they're not yeah. top tier. 
So I'm, I'm in an agreement with you guys. It's pretty much a, a C plus for me as well for 2020. So, all right. So uh, we're going to get into it, guys. Our top five of 2020. Here we go. My favorite episode of the year. I'm excited to see what direction you guys are going in. Uh, you know, I wear my heart on my sleeve on Twitter. So I think a couple of my picks are pretty obvious to close <laughs> To close friends of mine, you two of which I would put in that category. Mm-hmm. All right, Amanda, so you are the lady on the panel. So ladies first, I'm going to let you get us started. Your number five movie of 2020. This is my only movie on my top five that I saw in theaters. And I. some people may give me shit for this and I don't care. I watched it again on HBO recently and still enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Birds of Prey is my number five. Oh, what are you kidding me? I fucking love this movie. I, I And I... And I also saw this in theater. Yeah, Yeah. you know, uh, let let me see if... I want to hear your your spin on it. But Dan, Dan, are you a fan of this one? Did you see this one? It's fine. Okay. I'll explain what my problem with it was. Yeah, I'll I'll piggyback on you too, Amanda. Go ahead. Okay, so this was... uh, You know, I said Onward was the last movie I saw in theaters. This was the second to last movie I saw in theaters before shutdown. And again, with my best friend, uh, shout out Jessica. And she had seen it already. And I had missed it when it first came out because I had the flu and so you know some of the reviews were coming in and I was like you know what I'm just I'm gonna block them out and I'm gonna go see it and see what I think and I loved it it was mm-hmm. so refreshing I love that it was rated R I love that um you know to sound cliche but a little bit of like the girls behaving badly idea was sure. going on throughout and there is one spot where I felt so excited to see this portrayed on screen because it never is. And it's something I've brought up with friends and we've talked about before. So in action films with women, they always tend to have um, their hair down and mm-hmm. they're fighting. And in real life, if any, if you're exercising, you put your hair back in a ponytail mm-hmm. yeah, like true. Yeah. instantly. And there is just this tiny moment in a big fight scene towards the end where Journey Smollett's character is having trouble with her hair and basically someone's like hey do you need a hair tie and she's like yeah and pulls her hair back and it's it's so tiny but it felt Mm -hmm. amazing to see that because that is how women are Mm -hmm. like that that's what we do much as i love captain marvel and i've talked with you about that gerald one of the things that really bothered me throughout that movie is anytime she got into a fight scene her hair was just like at this slight bob and moving around and it was like no realistically she'd pull her hair back and i remember watching that with some girlfriends and we were all like what the hell like we like so much of that movie but what was up with that and i just there was so much in this movie that was great i think it's funny i love the action i love so much of it the scene and the like the breakout scene with the sprinklers going off in the jail is fantastic i don't know i just love the colors the characters everything about this movie is so fun i'm with you i'll I'll let dan comment you know kathy yon is the director a female filmmaker which probably lends to your point with the hair being pulled back and all those kind of realistic um you know details that might be missing through the male gaze (laughs) for lack of a better way to put it but i i fucking love margot robbie as harley quinn one of the greatest casting decisions of the last like 20 years i mean just amazing in that role my problem is is that this calls birds of prey and the birds of prey aren't in it uh, I mean, it's a Harley Quinn movie. I mean, I feel like if this had been called Harley Quinn, it would have made a little more sense. The Birds of Prey kind of show up towards the last act of the film, and then they kind of have their 
their thing. I, I love this movie. It's in my top 20, 25 or so, if I had to guess, uh, w- for all the reasons that you mentioned. And also because it's following Suicide Squad, which I don't know if you guys remember, was my worst <laughs> oh, film. Oh, Gerald, I reviewed that, and it's bad. Yeah. Yeah, it's go ahead, bad. Dan. What did you think I'm of Birds of Prey? I'm a DC apologist, and I think it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> so where are you at on Birds of Prey, Danny? All right, so uh, ultimately, I don't like the, the character Harley Quinn in general. Uh, my experience with that character mainly comes from the arc series games and the Batman the animated series where Harley Quinn is basically a subservient to Joker uh, except for like one episode where she's like uh, fuck the Joker I'm out of here and then the next episode is immediately back with the Joker and it's like ah cool good good arc everybody real proud mm-hmm. so like I don't know uh, my thing is with Harley Quinn has always been that she uh, as far as I'm aware has had to have the Joker in order to operate this movie kind of kicks that and that's kind of why I, like I went in being like, oh man, I'm going to hate this, despite the fact that I, I like Margot Robbie in the role. But I, I liked it enough based off of just like, hey, fuck the Joker. We don't need this guy because Jared yeah. Little sucks is in this role anyway. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Uh, let's move yep. on. But uh, yeah, like the girl power stuff, like I didn't find it overbearing. Like I know a lot of comic book nerds with, with their pimples and their back hair and mom's, mom's basement, like, ah, too much girl power. I, I It didn't feel as forced as it was with the one sequence in Avengers Endgame where I that, that was just like, hey, yeah. look, it's all the girls, everybody. Look at them. This was yeah. just like, hey, hey, these are all women who are badasses, and they just happen to be women and be badasses, badass at the same time. Yeah, I agree with you on that point. Actually, I feel like in Avengers, it, it was it was cool. Don't get me wrong, but I, it mm-hmm. did. That was the perfect description when you said it felt forced because I did feel like that was in the middle of the Me Too stuff, and I felt like it was almost like d- designed that way around what was going on in society at the time. Whereas in Birds of Prey, it just felt a little more natural, I felt yeah. like. Yeah, I think it was forced in Avengers, but it still made me cry because I'd never seen that on screen before. Oh, sure. Oh, like, no if doubt. I'm sure if no you're doubt. a woman, you're, you're looking at that and being like, oh my God, look at this. And particularly but, a young, particularly young women, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I gotta say, like, for 2020, as shitty as it was, like, just seeing some of that kind of stuff on screen, it, one of the things I always feel like I bring up with film is representation matters. Like, it truly mm-hmm. does. Absolutely. And you just, until you can kind of see yourself on screen or, hell, even out of movies, like when Kamala Harris talked about, like, little girls being able to see mm-hmm. that a woman could be vice president. I started yeah. weeping. Like, yeah, no doubt. it's no just doubt. very powerful. Yeah, monumental. Absolutely. Yeah. And film has yeah. a, a great way to transcend that for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's something, you know, I take for granted. I go, oh, representation. I, before I used to be like, yeah, representation, what does that mean? But then I started hearing people speak about representation. I'm like, oh, okay, I see mm. now. Yeah. yeah, me and Dan are lucky because there's no shortage of like old No bald, shortage white dudes. at all. We we have we got white <laughs> dudes for years. <laughs> yep. Old white bald dudes are in every movie. They've Christian Bale usually around. plays them. Bruce Willis started in like five forever. movies this year. So we're perfect, Gerald. We got Bruce oh. Willis for our lives. Man, oh, man. All right, uh, nice segue. So Birds of Prey, the emancipation of... Whatever, whatever, Harley Quinn, whatever, whatever that long title was, but it's I know super, what you mean. The Bird. emancipation of one the fantabulous one. emancipation of Harley Quinn. I think. Something, I think. Something stupid. That was such a terrible title. Oh man! All right, so Dan. You are. Uh, we're up to you, man. You're getting your list started with your number five. What do you got? All right. Well, my number five, Gerald, is a movie you and I saw together, mm-hmm. and not accidentally. Uh, we went on purpose. This is Invisible Man. What happened to him? Adrian's dead. Listen, you're getting your freedom back, okay? He said that wherever I went, he would find me, walk right up to me, 
and I wouldn't be able to see him. Adrian is dead. He's not dead. He has figured out a way to be invisible. Sitting in that chair. Oh, wow. This yeah. is higher for you than I thought it would be. Yeah. Uh, like I said, okay. this, is, like, this was the first outside of 1917, which we're not counting for this year, uh, despite the fact that it would be my number one without with a bullet. Uh, mm-hmm. Not even a question. But this one was the first great movie of 2020 that I saw, mm-hmm. uh, and it lasted for a good long while. But what I like about this movie, and I've said this a million times, is the use of negative space. This is probably the best shot and framed movie of 2020, because normally when you just get like long shots of a lot of empty space you're like no 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 zoom in on the characters but then you remember oh it's the invisible man which means there's all this empty space for them to be playing in like there was there's one shot right at the beginning where elizabeth elizabeth moss is in the closet and the camera just does a quick pan to the left stared out stares down this empty hallway for about five seconds and then pans back and it's just setting that up that like any empty space could be inhabited by this man and it, it adds a lot mm-hmm. of tension to the movie i mean mm-hmm. Elizabeth Moss is great. Uh, dude from Haunting of Hill House, also pretty good, uh, although he's barely in it. But like his, his sequence at the end where it's almost believable that he has no idea what even happened the entire time. And he's just gaslighting her this this like for the, a, a final time. And she's just finally fed up with it. And her arc about taking her world back. Uh, I mm-hmm. found that all extremely compelling stuff. Yeah, it's a great film. I mean, me and you saw it together. I saw it in the theater actually twice. And I actually, this is so funny that you picked this one. I actually just rewatched it a couple nights ago because uh, I bought the Blu-ray when it came out. And I just popped it open and threw it in because I wanted to kind of rewatch it for this. I love this movie. It's obviously in the horror genre, which you know I love. It's a it's a kind of a Do remake. You? I've never re- heard you say that. <laughs> are you a, a horror re- guy? <laughs> no, no, guys. What are you talking about? <laughs> it's a... Uh, it's a remake or retelling of one of the old Universal monster movies, which is great, too. A kind of a callback in that way. Amanda, did you see Invisible Man? I know you're not really a horror person. Uh, no, I did not watch this movie yeah. Um, yeah, for I my figured. own sanity. But I have listened to, I don't know, probably 10 different podcasts that covered it. So I kind yeah. of feel like I've seen it. Yeah, but, sure. like, no, I can I hear that. people talk about horror if it's daylight. <laughs> Uh, Lee Winnell is the director there. He was in yeah, the Saw, Saw film, and he uh, he directed this film that I loved in 2019 called Upgrade, which is a great oh, uh, yeah, sci-fi. Oh, yeah, he did direct that. Uh, but he's a great... With Tom uh, Hardy. Young, yep, 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 yep. Great. Yeah, <laughs> fake Tom Hardy. Uh, he's a great young filmmaker, and I, Dan, you know I love Invisible Man. We saw it together. It didn't make my list, but it's uh, one of my favorite films of the year, Gerald. for sure. How dare so. you? All right, man. So to get my list started, you know, I wouldn't call this a horror film, but for some reason, a lot of people do. Um, for me, it's a character study, and it's a very kind of sad character study it's very deep and very melancholy in that way but it really engulfs you in this this girl's life and her well really lack of life if i'm being honest but the movie is called swallow and it's an independent film that stars Haley bennett did either of you get a chance to see this this past year no but you wouldn't shut up about it so i feel like i've seen it Fair, fair. I, I have not seen this one. All right. Well, you know, I, we didn't mention it at the top, but we're not going to give away a ton of spoilers on tonight's show, guys, just because, you know, these are all 
pretty recent films. And in a lot of cases, a lot of them are probably available to stream if people want to check them out. So I won't give away the ending or too many spoilers, but you know, Haley Bennett, who was in one of Dan's favorite movies, Hillbilly Elegy this year. The best movie of 2020, no question. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, she was great in it, though. I'll, I'll give you that. But she, she plays they gave a, her nothing to do. She's a very submissive housewife in this film. It takes place in present day, or you get the impression that it does. But her character harkens back to some of the housewives of the 1950s. And from an acting standpoint, she really channels... You know, like the Janet Lee from Psycho kind of era and like, you know, Rosemary's Baby, a very kind of like submissive kind of horrific setting that she's living in. But it seems like a plain view scenario to the naked eye. Uh, but we get to see this unfold behind closed doors and, you know, it paints a picture. I'll just give you guys an idea. Like she literally her character, the way it's set up is that she sits at home all day while her rich husband's at his job. And she's uh, this submissive character that sits at home like in a very pretty dress with high heels. And she's like vacuuming in high heels and like a dinner dress waiting for him to come home. You know, and that's like the, the way that her character is kind of painted throughout the film. And as we're watching the film, we learn that she has this thing called pica disorder. Are you guys familiar with that? No. Yes. So thank pi- you, SVU. Oh, okay. Because I was going to say, I didn't know anything about it before this, <laughs> this movie. And I'd like just went into a giant rabbit hole after I saw this film. Uh, But it's when you have the craving to swallow dangerous objects or inedible objects. And that's her character in the film is that she suffers from this kind of psychological disorder. Uh, We find out why, you know, she has that kind of mental problem or whatever you want to call it, uh, which goes back to something that happened to her in her past. I don't want to give anything away because that comes around to a beautiful uh, bow that they tie on it at the end with a kind of a redemptive arc for her character, kind of, you know, righting her wrongs of her life and uh, dealing with her present situation to her husband, who's kind of a POS. Uh, It's guys, I'm going to tell you, this came out. It actually came out late, late 2019 overseas and it made its way to America I want to say in February I'm just going to say that it's a shame that it came out so early in the year because I'm not saying it's the best performance of the year but Haley Bennett gives a performance that deserves notoriety in this film and I just don't feel like she's going to get very much love because it's such a quote-unquote old release you know it came out over a year ago Um, and we're deep in award season I just haven't heard her name enough but if you guys watch this and you see her performance you can't help but just be engulfed by what she's going through she really does bring you into to that story so i know you guys haven't seen it it is streaming right now i want to say actually it might be on hulu i believe currently but it's called swallow the information will be in the show notes if you guys want to check it out but that's my number five amanda i know you guys haven't seen it so i'll swing it back over to you what was your number four movie of the year so my number four is uh definitely streaming it's a netflix original and it is mank oh dan dan are you awake over there i gotta put my fucking headphones Uh, 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 down i'm gonna Scream. <laughs> Dan, are you awake over there? Are you awake? Oh my god. All right. Now hold Go on. Ahead, Every, everybody everybody remain my calm. As much as I can. <laughs> everybody remain calm. Everybody calm down. All right, Amanda. <laughs> Truth be told, I don't I didn't really enjoy Mank as much as I wanted to. That's the that's the way I'll put it. Um, there are things about it from a technical aspect that I absolutely adored, and I'll talk about those when you're done. But I'm just gonna go ahead and tell you, Dan is not a fan of Mank. Uh, you don't which, say. Which I've been made aware of recently on social media. Why did you? Why did you? Why did you choose Mank? What do you love about it? I know that it is not a perfect movie, but this is. I'm choosing my favorite movies of the year. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So 
I I know it's not perfect. I see the flaws. I mm-hmm. understand them. I don't care. <clears throat> I loved this movie. This was the first movie that I saw at home that I truly had this ache that I wished I could have seen it in theaters. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to be in this world completely taken away, not distracted by my cell phone going off or somebody walking through the hall next door. I, like, I just... I wanted to be engulfed in this film and it's got a ton of stuff that's basically just like check marking off like Amanda aesthetic. One, it's about old Hollywood. Of course I'm going to fucking love it. Um, <laughs> two, it's David Fincher. Yeah. Three, it's black and white and has some amazing shots. Like the cinematography, the way the camera moves in this movie is just amazing. And I love it. One of my favorite moments, and this isn't spoilery. It's just like the, the camera moves up, a, a character is looking up into the sky. And then the transition is when he looks back down, it's then in a different area. And I just, the way it was filmed and it was so seamless i just loved that i think amanda seyfried is fantastic yep um i think gary oldman is pretty good i i mean i don't think it's gonna be like he'll get a second oscar or whatever but i think he's good really liked lily collins in this movie i did too i did too she was a pleasant surprise for me in this film she was uh i think her and amanda seyfried were definitely my favorite components of the yeah. film and the cinematography which you already mentioned yeah oh my god the cinematography um mm-hmm. i mean all of the costuming the whole idea of san simeon being recreated i just so much of this was just like i said it was like amanda catnip i was just like yep I love this. Okay. I love this. I love this. And I also want to shout out to uh, Tuppence Middleton, who played uh, Mank's wife, Sarah. Poor Sarah. I... <laughs> right, right, right. Can I ask you a question before Dan fucking blows his top over there? So, uh-huh. <laughs> um, I'm just curious about this, honestly, because I obviously haven't discussed this with anybody uh, in my life, really, but definitely not on a show. But what what I wonder is if I just was not able to to connect to this movie like I wanted to, which is what I mentioned before, because I was not really familiar with the source material. Are you familiar with Citizen Kane and like kind of that movie and how that got made and all that stuff? Or were you introduced to that through this movie? Oh, no, I know. I love Citizen Kane. It truly is. Okay. All right. Like when it's listed as, you know, the top movie on the AFI, absolutely. And I was yeah, see, I wonder super if that... lucky enough to see it in 35 millimeter a few years ago when right. I was taking a film class. One of the theaters in town was showing it in 35 millimeter. And just what it did to move forward and the way that yeah. I think Fincher in Mank at times with some of the ways that he's he's manipulating the camera is an homage to Citizen Kane Mm -hmm. at the same time in the way that Orson Welles was using the camera in ways that hadn't been done in American cinema before like yeah you had some of it that had been done um probably like German expressionism and things like that but it was very European and things that weren't being seen in mainstream American film yeah, no, I get that, and uh, you know, it spoke to you, which is cool. I, yeah, that's why I asked that question because I've seen Citizen Kane, but I just don't really remember it, and I'm not connected to the story behind. You know what I mean? Like, so I wonder yeah. if that heightened that experience for you, Dan. Did you want to uh, give any commentary on Mank and why you did not like it? I will not deny that the production design and aesthetic 
And even the sound design are all top notch for this movie. The sound design, it sounds like a 40s movie. Like mm-hmm. that, and that's awesome. If you care about that. Uh, I do. Which, which, which I don't. Like I have, <laughs> I have zero connection to old Hollywood. I've never seen Citizen Kane. And I, I do want to, mm. but like I, I've said this multiple times with Gerald, I feel like if I go past, you know, 1970, uh, that's where movies start to lose me. Uh, in general, is like I, I can't connect with them anymore. So it's trying to connect me to this bygone era, which I don't care about, uh, through really weird, bad screenplay ideas, which I don't care about. Like I was far more interested in the goings on of you know, 1934 Hollywood and and like uh, surrounding the Great Depression, how the studios are trying to navigate the Great Depression and, you know, how how they're trying to keep Upton Sinclair out of out of office. I found that far more gripping than anything that Mank was doing in, in terms of writing the script. Uh, I just I just I just, I did not care about Mank writing the script and uh, in fact I got very angry when they would cut away from the interesting history part of the the movie uh, to tell me about him <laughs> writing a script. Would it be fair to say Amanda cuz I, I I definitely am and I'm pretty sure you are a huge uh, David Fincher fan as well. Would it be fair to say that this is the least Fincher-esque Fincher movie. This is definitely different than any of his other films, in my opinion. It is different than his other films. And I think part of that is because the screenplay for this was written, you know, 20 plus years ago by Mm -hmm. his father. Right, which is a cool story. Yeah, I'd I'd read that as well. Yeah, and so this is something that he's been wanting to make for decades Mm -hmm. and finally was able to. And, I mean, you could argue this is the... (laughs) second film in as many years uh, that you have an auteur who's making something that's very near and dear to their heart in black and white that they've been wanting to make basically since childhood. If you, you know, look at Quaron and Roma from a couple years ago, but Mm -hmm. I I just, I don't know, this really resonated with me. And, and I understand what Dan's saying. Like, if you don't care about that stuff, I can understand where this would be frustrating, but you get lost, right? You get lost. Yeah. And if you don't understand or know or care about the film history, side of it and I guess like for me I've I've heard the argument that people struggle with watching older films because the style of acting was different or you know things mm-hmm. like that but mm-hmm. we would not have the film industry and the movies that we have today if it weren't for what happened in the past and film history I just think is fascinating and understanding the the basics and even before Citizen Kane like I was saying like German expressionism from the 20s and 30s and if you're even going back into uh you know early soviet film and things like that the way that you can see draw a straight line from battleship potemkin to the untouchables and the Mm -hmm. influence and i just all of that stuff um to quote my husband it just jazzes me up um no i know i know i know it's your cup of tea i don't know why i didn't expect to hear mank from you though but i i do know that that old hollywood kind of vibe is your cup of tea so it makes sense and if anybody did anybody break out in the song and mank because then that's really your dream i don't think they did though did they I don't think so. No, so but that would have uh, been great. That <laughs> would have been great. It's Amanda Siffer doing a musical number. So uh, that's your number four, Mank. Dan, I know Mank is not your number four, but what is, man? Give it to us. 
Uh, it's actually the only Netflix movie on my list. Uh, it's the, the Trial of the Chicago 7. It's a good one. Amanda, you seen this yet? No, this was one of the only kind of prestige Netflix movies I missed. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, I heard Dan's episode where he does, where they honor, you know, Netflix originals. And this was, I think, your number one on that, right, Dan? This was, in fact, my number one, which goes to show you how weak I think Netflix's year overall was. Uh, I don't, uh, we, can, we can talk about that later. But uh, as of now, like, uh, I, this is all about the ensemble. Like, this mm-hmm. this showed me that Sasha Baron Cohen could actually be taken seriously as an actor. Uh, I mean, he did a mini series on Netflix called, I, I believe it was just called Spy or The Spy or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and where he, he I, I remember watching the trailer and it's like, look at Sasha Baron Cohen trying to be a serious actor. What a funny guy. And he's done a, compl- he's done a, he's done a couple things where I've, I've been like, this was the first one where I was like, oh, okay. But he's done right. a couple things in the last like 10 years. Like, he was in a Scorsese film called Hugo. Um, mm-hmm. and he'll kind of, I'll kind of be like, is this guy trying to like show me he can act here or what's going on? Yeah, but it yeah. was always Very nice kind of guy ambiguous. Trying to, be, trying to be serious. Get out of here. Get out of here. I don't want to see that. Yeah, I know. But it was always kind of ambiguous. But then in this movie, I'm like, okay, well, he's just bringing the heat here. But yeah, I think he's going to get us. I think he's going to get a supporting nomination for sure uh, for this movie. He's just, he was great in it. Yeah. Uh, the, the big criticism with this movie is it's just like white people arguing the movie. Uh, Cause I mean, literally at one point, the, the one black man who has any, Anything to say is uh, like strapped to a chair with his, his mouth taped shut. Uh, there's like next to no women, and if they are, there are women in the movie. They're either subservient or, um, you know, pitted against the men uh, by honey potting them. In in a You're way, you're not selling this to me. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna pretend like it's it's the the best movie for women and um uh, you know people who who need who who need like representation because I, I'm not even I'm not even joking here like it's basically just like Frank Langella yells at white man white man yells back at Frank Langella uh, right. black man attempts to speak Frank Langella yells at white man to to shut up or mm-hmm. Frank yeah. Langella it, yells at black man to shut up but in that respect too Dan it it is a bit of a product of his time too because that was America yeah. at the time I mean that was America at the time I mean yeah. sure. The the young guys in that film, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Baron Cohen, I mean, they're fighting for, you know, to change that. No, no, no. Joseph Gordon-Levitt is on the prosecuting side, so he's not even... Right, but I got a sense that he was a little bit... Like, his allegiances were a little bit on the fence there, I felt like. Yeah, well, I think he knew that, like, he he had that moral sense where he went, I know this is wrong. And there's a lot of comparisons here to be made to uh, a current administration that won't go unnamed. Sure. Like, (laughs) there are those guys that are moral objectors, but go along with it because it's their job and in reality are they as guilty as those who you know uh, actually committed the the quote-unquote atrocities it's Mm -hmm. up for interpretation but uh in this it actually seems like he's more like morally ambiguous and morally objects and at times does like actually object to what's going on Mm -hmm. Uh, but ultimately he's still trying to do his job uh, and not lose his job the only thing i'll say about you know the trial of chicago seven that you haven't already mentioned. I mean, and the reason it didn't ultimately make my list, I did love the movie. I gave it high marks. I think it was a great film, but Aaron Sorkin's dialogue, he's the writer here. And it was also his first directing effort. Uh, it's always a little wordy for me. Like it's always a little, uh, it's not really real world conversation for me. 
uh, in sure. his movies. And I'm not talking about even the courtroom stuff, because the courtroom stuff, like in A Few Good Men, which he also wrote, and then the courtroom stuff in this, and there's probably some I'm forgetting as well, like in Social Network and the different legal proceedings that are going on in that movie. Like, that stuff is kind of believable because it's lawyers and they're smart and they spit out big words, you know what I mean? But when you're in a park during a protest and these hippies are having this back and forth, it just doesn't seem, it just doesn't feel real to me. It feels like a fictionalized uh, thing. Do you know what I mean? I, I don't know if I'm making sense. So that always kind of, I don't want to say bothers me, but it always just kind of takes me a little bit out of his projects. I didn't really watch The West Wing. I saw a few episodes, but it was similar in that where it was like they would be in a coffee shop having a conversation and it wouldn't feel normal. But then they would get in the West Wing and they get in the White House. It was kind of like it made sense because of the setting that they were in. So I don't know if he's, I mean, it's probably my fault that I'm just not connecting to the material, but I don't, I wish he would separate those kind of commonplace dialogues with his kind of upper up uppity dialogues, but they all seem to be the same. Uh, I will, I do want to correct you on one thing. Molly's game was his directorial debut. Oh, okay. I didn't know that actually. Okay. Well, there he goes. Dad, you said you were here to keep me straight tonight. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate it. Well, I'm afraid my number four is another one that you guys haven't seen, although I don't know, um, It's an Australian film that also came out way too early in the year to be up for contention, although it should be. But it's a movie called Baby Teeth. You guys seen it? No. Well, Gerald, you know I put up a poll earlier being like, hey, which one one of these should I watch, Uh, Minari or Baby Teeth? All right. Well, I'll glaze over it then. And again, I won't give away too many spoilers because this is a fuck. This movie, I saw this movie, oh man, early in the year. I want to say it was January or February. And uh, I went on Paul's show and the countdown and you know, he's from Australia. So I told him, I was like, bro, this is like, I mean, it was like February. So who knew what was going to happen in COVID? But I said, bro, this is going to be one of the greatest movies of the year. I mean, and then here it is on my top five a year later. It stuck with me the entire year, 11 months since I saw it. Uh, just a tragic uh, really love story at the core, but the general plot is this young uh, high school senior is terminally ill, and she finds out she has X number of you know weeks to live or whatever, and she ends up embarking on a relationship and kind of a romance with a guy that's about five years older than her that happens to be a drug dealer in their town, and he's a very unsavory figure, but they have a connection, and Ben Mendelsohn plays her dad, and her parents are obviously against the relationship because he's such a bad dude. But he's, but they also see that it brings her such happiness and that she only has so long to be happy. So it really creates just a, just a torturous, like, and if you're a parent, which I know you guys aren't, but as a, just such a terrifying, like, thought like I know that my kid's going to be gone if I'm looking at a calendar this is when they could be gone and it's just like I want them to be happy but I also don't want them to make these horrible mistakes in their in their existing life do you know what I mean so anyway it's it's a it just fucking wrecked me guys like the last like I would say 10 minutes of this movie like I'm still crying I mean 11 months later if I think about it I start crying it was such a great performance by all the actors involved the young girl who's the lead is uh, Eliza Scanlon, and you guys might know her. She was in Little Women last year as well, uh, the, the revival of Little Women. And Dan, you might know her from Devil All the Time. She was in that she, movie on Netflix. She was also in an HBO miniseries with Amy Yeah, Adams. Sharp Objects. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh my gosh, she's really good in that. Yeah. So she does a just a fucking tremendous job. But you know, I won't. I, I don't want to spoil too much. But you know, it, it's a you know, my top five's heavy, guys. Like I don't have any quote unquote fun movies in my top five. You know, Amanda had Birds of Prey. <laughs> Dan had Invisible <laughs> Man, which has fun moments in it. I you know, 
my movies are not fun, and I apologize, but they just these five movies affected me like they really did. And Baby Teeth may be maybe be the most affecting of of my top five. Uh, It has literally stuck with me for nearly a year. It is on Hulu right now. Dan was considering watching it before we recorded, actually. I would recommend, you know, I know our 2020 discussion is going to be over, but don't let this movie pass you by, guys. And I'm talking to the listeners as well. Uh, It's it's just all the technical stuff. It's a female filmmaker, Shannon Murphy, and it's just tremendous. And Australia does good stuff, man. They they make good films over there. So I'm not saying America doesn't, but... uh, you know, you could look at the Babadook. You could look at a lot of Australian pictures that have come out the last five years, and they ha- they have a kind of a keen eye to what they're doing over there. So, Baby Teeth is one of my favorites. It's my number four. And again, you guys can't give me shit yet because you haven't seen any of these. But <laughs> <laughs> I know Dan's over there. I'm just, just like, saving. I'm he's tapping his feet. Ammo. He's like, when when can I fucking lay in? So, all right, <laughs> all right, uh, Amanda. You had Birds of Prey. You had Mank. What is your number three? All right. So going to uh, back to a lighter note, though existential. Uh, my number three, uh, which is streaming on Hulu, is Palm Springs. Good day so far? Today, tomorrow, it's all the same. You, what is going on? Hey, get out of the water, girl! Guess you followed me. It's one of those infinite time loop situations you might have heard about. That I might have heard about? Yeah. The second you fall asleep, it all just goes back to the start. I drove all the way back home to Austin, and I still woke up here. One time I smoked a bunch of crystal and made it all the way to Equatorial Guinea. It was a huge waste of time. Well, then what's the point of living? We kind of have no choice but to live. No, I'm gonna get out of this. Suit yourself. See you tomorrow. So now what do we do? You just have to embrace the fact that nothing matters. Do you sleep with people in here? Great question. I have, but it takes a lot of work. May I cut in? It's the first dance. And that's a deal breaker? That didn't work. (laughs) Let's waste some time. I like it. It's in my honorable mentions. Just missed my top five. I love this movie. Yeah, I, I adore this movie. It's... I think on the surface, if you've just seen like the trailer, it looks like, oh, rom-com Groundhog Day. But it's so much more than that. I I love how uh, fascinating and complicated the characters are. Uh, again, aesthetically, I really liked this movie. Uh, but it's funny. It mm-hmm. I laughed really hard at times. I also cried so much more than I was expecting to. Yeah. Uh, I know it's cliche to say, but it it really has a lot of heart in it, and I, it's truly existential uh, to just think about if you had to relive the same day over and over again. And you know, it's I know there's been debates on the internet whether, in theory, you know. Andy Samberg's character has he been reliving this for like 10 years or 100 years you know so I Mm -hmm. seen different debates on that but I it's just it's a wacky film um I know it premiered at Sundance and I've I've heard some interviews with people who talked about how it was the last movie when they went to Sundance that um Mm -hmm. they got to see with a crowd of people before everything shut down and I think it's interesting that it ended up becoming a streaming film and a hit streaming Mm -hmm. because of the pandemic and the 
the idea, I mean, I know this has been written about and talked about, but that that whole sense of just doing the same thing over and over again, which yeah. we all kind mm-hmm. of did in 2020. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I just, if you haven't seen this movie, I highly, highly recommend it. Yeah, you know, what I want to say about Palm Springs, it's in my honorable mentions when we get there, but what I want to say about it is, is what I have memories of it is not even about the movie specifically. It's just about what it meant to me because I don't know if you guys recall, but this started streaming on Hulu in May. COVID hit really, really hard here in the States in March. And we had, before this movie came out, there was a two-month period where, and I mentioned it at the top, that we literally had no fucking idea what was going on. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we, it was such an uncertain time, and it really still is. And this movie came along, and me and my wife watched it on, on opening day on Hulu. I was really excited to see it because I'd seen the trailers, and I'd heard the Sundance buzz around it. I love Andy Samberg from his SNL days and whatever. And it, it's a great movie. Like, I love the movie, but I feel like when it came to us in our homes was a saving grace for a lot of people, myself included, because we hadn't been able to go to the movie theater. Studios were holding off on releasing their, you know, their prospects because they didn't know what was going to happen. And, you know, Hulu got the rights to this and they're like, fuck it. You know, here's Palm Springs. It's a great movie. Watch it. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully you enjoy it. And I did enjoy it. I mean, it was a great movie, but I just, what I'm saying is, is that when it, when it, when I was able to see it at that time in my life during COVID and probably for a lot of people that were able to see it back then, it was probably so refreshing and made us feel so much better than what we had been feeling prior a couple months prior to that i think part of it is it is a joyous film like okay yes there's existentialism you know there's people dealing with the fact that they might be shitty human beings which i mean kristen miliotti she's fantastic in it and Mm -hmm. her character is so fascinating and why is she so underrated guys complicated i I fucking love her (laughs) like me and Dan were just jokingly talking about her in this mockumentary that's on Netflix right now. Did you see that, Amanda? Death to 2020? No, I haven't seen that yet. <laughs> I used to watch that. It's hilarious. But she's just so great. Everything I see her in, she's such a breath of fresh air. And I just feel like she just doesn't get a lot of love, like, you know, in the general public. Well, I, I think part of that is she's just known as, quote unquote, the mother from How I Met Your Mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and that's true. That's unfortunately, true. like, as much as I loved that show, I think the final episode left a very bad taste in people's mouths for a long time and yeah, understandably so but that's a, that's a, a conversation that's a for a different point, podcast um, that's a good point actually i never thought of that that's a good point i i just think the like you said this coming along when it did i think it added honestly like a little bit of a spark of joy and um belief in life and living your life yeah even if there, there is monotony and making the best of it. Yep, I agree. Dan, are you a fan of Palm Springs? I think you are. I, I am. This was actually like, I remember the, the COVID malaise hitting and just me just being like, this, like watching stuff and just saying, oh, this sucks, this sucks, this sucks, this sucks. Like there was like a two month spread where I, I hated everything I was watching yeah. it, it, when COVID first started. This hit, I watched it and I was like, okay, good. Okay, 2020 starting to look up now. Well, now we, we're finally getting some good stuff. Uh, and it turns out that 20 2020 was just sprinkling in some good stuff in between all the shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. It's a great movie. Like I said, it's right outside my top five, and it was actually my number five for a couple months. And I started seeing stuff here at the later part of the year, me and Dan, the film festival, and it kind of shook things up a little bit, but it did stay in my top 10. So it's definitely one of my favorite movies. And, you know, going out on a limb here, I would say it's probably my favorite comedy 
you know, if we can say quote unquote comedy of the mm-hmm. year, I would say Palm Springs is probably my favorite comedy of the year. So that's uh, your number three. Great pick, Amanda. Dan, what is up for you, man? At Thrace over there. All right. Get ready for my run on female filmmakers because my number three is never, rarely, sometimes, always. Yes. So I tweeted you, out honey. after. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. <laughs> I just want to tell you I'm proud of you. Go ahead. I, I tweeted out like halfway through this movie. That, uh, I roughly said, uh, I now know that I do not have the mental strength to be a woman because (laughs) the amount of times I felt like a deep pain in my stomach for something that was happening, uh, in this movie was way too many. Like, uh, just watching it, her, like, everything she experiences is terrible. And, like, I know, like, there's gonna be some chuds that go, oh man, but all the men are written to be assholes. Well, guess what? A lot of time, men are assholes. Even the, mm-hmm. the seemingly nice ones are assholes. Yeah, so, sure. like, I, I'm fine with every man being a complete piece of garbage unless he was working, in which case he's basically paid to be nice to people. Uh, fine, I don't care. Uh, but basically, general premise for if you're unaware, uh, girl is pregnant, uh, and in the state of Pennsylvania, and, and she's 17. And so, at, in Pennsylvania, uh, if you're under the age of 18, you can only get an abortion with parental supervision. So she takes a bus ride with her cousin to New York City. And it's about mm-hmm. that that journey uh, and what they go through and what she goes through in order to get the abortion done. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's highlighting the problems we have with uh, female health care, uh, mm-hmm. specifically female health care in mm-hmm. a lot of states. Not even just Pennsylvania, but like I think Georgia's pretty bad. I could be wrong. Uh, like Louisiana's fucking terrible, for instance. Uh, so it highlights that. It highlights you know women's lives in a, in a seemingly male dominated world where literally uh, their manager at the supermarket after they're done counting cash when they hand over the cash to him uh, he kisses their hand and I'm just like what oh. the fuck mm-hmm. it's so uh, like there are some very disgusting disgusting moments in this movie which unfortunately are real i mean they're uh-huh. real. unfortunately are incredibly real oh yeah. having worked like, retail i can tell you some shit i was put through yeah um did you see this, Amanda? I I did not. I know it's on Amanda, HBO. Amanda, I told you to watch this. I, you did, you, you did. And here's the this. thing. Here's the thing. Emotionally, because I knew what this movie was. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because I've been hearing about it for a year, honestly, at this mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. And I emotionally, with um everything that's happened in the past week, I yeah. honestly didn't think I could handle it. Well, that makes sense because it is a very heavy, emotionally heavy oh, film. It carries a lot so of emotion. It's so draining. Uh, the only thing I'll add uh, that I want to make sure I mention is, I, you know, I paid 20 bucks to watch this when it first came out. It was first streaming initially. Oh, you, to like Mr. Moneybags. Jesus. Like, yeah, I know, <laughs> so right? <laughs> Like to VOD at home, and then I watched it again when it came out on HBO HBO Max a few months or a few weeks ago. But this, there's a scene in this movie, and again, we'll try to avoid spoilers. Oh, 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 is it about it, an hour in? Yeah, with, with even even what for every Amanda. Woman needs is a Kelly. Well, yes, when she goes to the do the questionnaire. Is that what you're referring to? Yes, right. I, I'm yeah, just yeah. saying uh, the person she's speaking to is Kelly. Okay, her name I, is Kelly. I feel okay. like every woman needs a Kelly mm-hmm. in her life. So she does this questionnaire, Amanda, uh, when she's you know going to get her appointment for the abortion in New York, and they ask her a series uh-huh. of questions, and you have to answer each question with you know never, rarely, sometimes, or always. Uh, you know, it's like you know how often do you have sex? You know, yeah. like blah blah blah. And so they just ask these number of questions, and the way that scene is shot, it's I don't know, Dan, what do you say? Is maybe two or three minutes long the scene i actually say about five okay yeah but the way it's shot is it really 
it gives you a level of like awkwardness to be in that scenario, but it also like just places you in the lead actress's kind of like state, like her mentality. Gerald, you know what I mean? You like, put some you goddamn respect on Sydney Flanagan's name. Sydney Flanagan. Thank you so much. I didn't have it in front of me, but she's tremendous in this. This might be her first role, actually, but definitely one of her first. And she's a she fucking. It's the kills first time it. I've ever seen her. She fucking kills it in this. Just a very subdued. A real performance. Uh, you know, you feel like you're watching a real life thing play out as opposed to a movie. So I, I commend this pick, man. It's it's in my honorable mentions as well. It's It didn't make my top five, but it's in my honorable mentions. So great pick. Never, rarely, sometimes, always. So my number three is horror. Here we go, guys. Uh, <laughs> you knew it was coming up, right? You knew it was coming up. Now... This movie, all right, I saw before I saw my top two, okay? So I can say convincingly that when this movie came along, it was like somebody literally punched me in the fucking face and said, here's movies, here's cinema, asshole, and fucking just jammed it into my face. And it's a movie called Possessor by Brandon Cronenberg. Oh, this isn't the one one I expected. Amanda, I know you're not going to say you saw this because it's horror. I did not, but I I know about it, uh, again, from listening to other podcasts and things. Uh, It's uh, David Cronenberg's son who directed it. Correct. Yes. Correct. Yes. It is a fucking. <laughs> the legacy continues. So, uh, Dan, I know you saw it because we talked about it about a month ago when you saw yep. it. Uh, you know, I don't know how familiar you are with with David Cronenberg, but in the '80s and really into the '90s as well, David Cronenberg was known for really revolutionizing and kind of mainstreaming what would be considered body horror. Um, And he did it. You know, one of my favorite films that he did was in 1986, The Fly, starring Jeff Goldblum, Mm -hmm. um, where Jeff Goldblum morphs into a literal human insect fly. uh, And they don't hold back what they show you in terms of the special effects. And this is in the 80s, so it's all practical. So fast forward to 2020, and his son, Brandon, has really carried on that legacy with a lot of in-your-face, kind of gruesome, uh, what horrific uh, imagery in this film uh, from a lot of the kills that happen. And just the overall premise of the movie is a little horrific as well, taking on other people's kind of personas in order to carry out these kind of treacherous acts, uh, basically to be a hitman uh, through the body of someone else. It's a very interesting kind of futuristic sci-fi story that's kind of woven in here with horror elements built into it. It's not a straight up horror movie, but there's definitely like when it gets to the kill scenes, for example, those are horror. Like, you know, just the practical blood they use, the practical effects that he uses because of who his dad is. I mean, his dad would have disowned him if he didn't do it. So he (laughs) had to do it. You know, he had to do it, you know, and it's just, it's shot so beautifully, man. It's like, Amanda, I know you're not a horror person, so I would almost say watch the trailer, like the you know 90 second trailer. And there's so many shots in the trailer alone that literally gave me chills when I watched it. I'm like, this is shot so fuck. Like, make your movie, dude. Like, you are fucking killing it with this. And to know who his dad was and that he's kind of carrying on that legacy, whether that's inadvertent or not, and just you know his influence is built in there. I don't know, but yeah, this movie just. And I'm not going to give anything away because there's a Dan will know, but there's a huge fucking plot twist in this movie that comes in the last act of the film, which which worked for me. My daughter didn't buy it quite as much as she had a lot of questions about it. It didn't work for her as much as it did for me. Uh, I fucking loved it, though. But it's just a gut punch, guys. This movie came along and I was like, holy fucking shit. Movies are alive. Like, that's what I felt like when I saw this (laughs) saw this movie. You know, I was like literally couldn't sleep that night. That's how it made me feel. So. Uh, Brandon Cronenberg's Possessor is my number three. Dan, you saw it, so is there anything you want to say about it? Yeah, I, I think 
at least for me, there there was one undercurrent that I I mean you're not talking about because you're like horror, 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 and I go well, there's a different kind of horror, and it's that uh, Andrea Riseborough's boss, who's played by Jennifer Jason Lee, is basically mm-hmm. willing to watch her uh, employee psychotically break in, yeah. in order in order for this company to work. Like yeah. she is gaslighting her in terms of like, hey, I need you, like you're my number one employee, like you're the you're the best I got, uh, you know, you know, your family can do without you, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And without giving anything away for the last act, Dan, I will say that's exactly what my daughter said in so many words, because she was like, okay, so that whole ending with Risenberg's character that everything, and I don't want to give it away, but you know what I'm talking about. And all that stuff happened that was really perpetrated by Jennifer Jason Lee and the whole quote unquote corporation or whatever. Right. And And that was my daughter's kind of exposition as well. She was like, okay, so that was all for that. Like, yeah. For what? For what? What she did this for what? You know what I mean? That's kind of like why she was left kind of empty but, but with the, it. But here, here's the thing. Your daughter, and no, this is no offense to her, and I hope you play this for her. <laughs> you are a college student. You have you have not spent enough time in a corporate world or in like a True. job where you're, you, you've hit a soul-sucking job. Mm-hmm. And, and when you hit that, you can resonate with that whole thematic undercurrent a lot more because, like, the psychological trauma that Andrea Riseborough goes through it throughout the entire movie is despicable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the fact that Jennifer Jason Lee and her character, who I, quite honestly I don't remember if they ever say her name, but uh, she's like, I used to do this, and now I can't. So now I'm going to push this onto somebody else. And then they mm-hmm. ride you like they ra- they rode themselves just into the fucking ground. Mm-hmm. That's that's what that means. Her yeah, doing that's... that is making a replacement. Like I need a second version of me in order to finish what I started. Mm-hmm. That's what this yeah. comes down to. Her character's name was Gerder, and um, Christopher Abbott's also great in this film. You know, he plays Colin, and he's the body that Andrea Risenberg. Uh, possesses basically in the last act of the film. How, how did you pronounce that name, Joe? Riseboro. It's Riseboro. Is that right? But it's Andrea, not Andrea. Come on. Oh well, yeah. Come on. You guys have been. We're not that fancy before. here. Come on. <laughs> I had my pinky out when I said it. Um, <laughs> right, well, that excuses it then. But I think Christopher Abbott's amazing in this too because he has to. Oh, yeah. You know, he has scenes where he's himself, right? But then he has scenes where she's possessing him. Oh no! And he's pretending to be himself. Um, I, you know, I think he's amazing. The performances are to die for in this movie, no pun intended. And I've already mentioned, you know, Cronenberg's direction just fucking floored me. Uh, the way the film looks visually, and, and, and as a horror fan, the kill scenes and the horror scenes, which are not prominent throughout the entire movie, but they do show up. And when they show up. I mean, there's there's no holds barred in terms of blood and gore and that kind of thing. So I love it. Amanda, you'll never watch it because I know you, but check I, out the trailer. I will not. I'll watch the trailer uh, broad daylight, noon. How's that? Yeah, sound? watch it for me. Yeah, watch it for Dan, me. We can, you know, standing yeah. outside. Yeah, sure. So Possessor Gerald. is my number three, and that's my horror mention in my top five, guys. <laughs> Here, let's uh, circle around to our runner-ups. Amanda will get us started with her number two. What do you got? All right, my number two, and... I wish this movie were more readily available because I think particularly uh, it's very timely, even more so since I watched it in the past week um, with what's been going on uh, in D.C. But my number two is the documentary Boys State. I haven't seen this one yet. I really, really want to. It's on my watch list. Have you seen it, Dan? 
I don't like watching documentaries because real <laughs> life is terrifying enough that I I don't need more stuff like that. Like I I don't. It, so no, I haven't. I've heard I've heard this is fascinating though, but based on what's going on, right? Yeah. Tell me a little bit about the premise because I haven't seen this one yet. Well, I will say so. Boy State, um, it's only available on Apple TV Plus, which I think is a disservice to this film because it should be more widely seen. Mm-hmm. And uh, so. I don't know if either of you are familiar with uh, Boys or Girls State that goes on um, in most of the 50 states. Mm -mm. So um, what it is, (laughs) is uh, basically political summer camp. And it happens every summer for incoming high school seniors. And uh, most states have this. There's the, a boy state and a girl state. Um, back in 2003, I attended Buckeye Girl State here in Ohio. And while watching this movie, I full on had like a crisis of self of when I was 17, uh, even though it okay. was a long time ago. But it's just uh, so the the documentary takes place at the, the boy state in Texas in 2018 and it is just a fascinating look at what is going on politically with the younger generation like gen z who are going to be coming up in the Mm -hmm. next you know 20 years into the political frame and i i heard an interview with the filmmakers and um i you know shout out to another woman director this one's co-directed by a woman uh, amanda mcbain and it is just absolutely amazing to see because in the whole idea of uh, party politics, because when you go to Boys or Girls State, everybody is split into two parties. Now, it's not Democrat and Republican. It's made up parties. You're in the Federalist and the Nationalist. Mm-hmm. And you have to come up with a party platform and you have to nominate people and then vote for them to have different positions. There's like city, county, and state government. And that's like the highest level is to be governor at Boy State. It sounds like, if nothing else, it's really going to open up a world that, I mean, I was a political science major for a while in college, and I don't even know about this. Oh my gosh. It's it's truly fascinating. And you can see, like, tons of people have gone to Boys and Girls State, um, ones that are mentioned in the opening credits and that, you know, you can easily Google and find, like, Bill Clinton, uh, Cory Booker, mm-hmm. uh, Dick Cheney. Wow. Okay, um, so this is kind of like a training camp for ultimately being a politician. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It is. It's literally like political summer camp. Okay. And what's so fascinating is, like I said, seeing this next generation and seeing these kids at 17 who, you know, uh, you know, it's not a big. It's a documentary, so obviously <laughs> it's true life um and it really is a lot like in the way that it's filmed it puts you in the point of view of the kids a lot of the time and it's very cinema verite and there's one kid at the start before they even get there that he literally has a ronald reagan like action figure in his bedroom wow it's fair enough (laughs) well and and there's also a lot that goes on with with race because mm-hmm, you've sure, yeah. got two kids that they follow, one who is a 
child of a Mexican immigrant. And then you also have a boy who used to live in Chicago and then moved to Texas and he's African-American and he is dealing in real time with the backlash against him from some of these, I mean, to be honest, white assholes who are racist. And it's just absolutely fascinating. I, I watched it several weeks ago and I had been repeatedly like, I've talked to multiple people like you have to watch this movie. It's only on Apple TV plus. I only have access on my laptop. I'll have to see if I can bring it over and let you watch it or, you know, to like my brother or husband. And it's just, it's gut punching the way like, Oh my God. Well, I was going to say that makes me happy because I literally just got an Apple plus subscription (laughs) like a month ago. Okay. And this was on my watch list to begin with. So I, I didn't. I, for some reason, I didn't know that was on Apple Plus. I, I knew that I wanted to see it. And I added it to my watch list a few months ago, but that makes me happy. I, Dan, you said you didn't see this one, right? No. All right. Well, Dan and I didn't see it, Amanda, so we can't give too much commentary. But it sounds fucking fascinating, especially with you know people storming the well, Capitol and shit. Right, these and days, with people so. storming the Capitol in the past <laughs> week. It's instantly become even more like it was already teetering on my number one. And, okay. you know, I'll give that away here in 10 minutes or so. But it instantly just shot up towards the top of my my list. All right. So that's your number two, Boy State on Apple Plus. If you guys have it, check it out. Dan, what's your runner up, man? I'm excited. What do you got? All right. This is one of the movies I saw at the film festival that you didn't see. And then we got to see again for film independent. Mm-hmm. It is One Night in Miami. Ready for tonight? I'm as ready as a person can be. After the fight, we're all coming back here for the champs victory party. Don't be late. Minister Malcolm X. Good news, the chariot is coming. You know I'm the greatest. That's right. Jim Brown takes the ball. Your record is going to stand the test of time. How's everybody feeling tonight? All together, yeah. (laughs) New heavyweight champion of the world. Say, champ, you don't suppose you could sign an autograph? Yeah, of course, man. Give him an autograph, Jim. Actually... Mr. Cook? <laughs> oh, sure thing, brother. Oh, yeah, that's the show. Don't you think it's about time to party? Tonight is a chance for us to reflect. Hey. You mean no one else is coming? Well, this is all to a hopping start. <laughs> you all are a bright and shining future. You need to understand what is at stake here. Everything's not so black and white like you make it out to be. But we are fighting for our lives. You know I know what's going on out there, right? Listen, listen. Brothers and sisters, listen. No, this is like ensemble cast to the max. It's Aldous Hodge, Eli Gore, Kingsley Ben-Adir, and Leslie Odom Jr. Uh, And they are all fantastic. Like, Eli Gore should be playing Muhammad Ali in anything they do. Like, in fact, they should be making more things with Muhammad Ali in it just so Eli Gore can play him. Mm -hmm. He is that fucking good as Muhammad Ali. It is insane. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I mean, all, all of them are fucking like, you're, you're literally like you're watching a clip from 1960, whatever it was, three or whatever. Right. Oh, man. But uh, the only criticism I have, and I hate to interrupt you, but I just want to hear your retort to this. But my, the only criticism I have for One Night in Miami, I did like it. I gave it high marks. It just felt too, because it's based on a stage play, and it just felt too much like a stage play to me. With You're right, the performances and Regina King's direction was very sure-handed, but I don't know, it was like all these kind of single-room shots, and 
it felt like what I would be seeing on a stage. It didn't feel like a cinematic experience to me at all times. Does that make sense? Or yeah, that, no, your, that's, that's your... totally fair. If there's anything that I could fault for this movie, it is, I don't say cinematography, but framing. The framing of this movie is very sterile, mm-hmm. it's very flat. It, it's, it's, and I guess that is to draw the attention to the actors because you don't want, like, if you're paying attention to the cinematography, you're not paying attention to what the actors are doing, what they're saying. So I think she kept it relatively simple in order to draw it on the performances and not anything else. Mm-hmm. Amanda, uh, did you catch One Night in Miami yet? I have not since it's not coming to Amazon until tomorrow. I was going to say, that when is, is it? Because I knew it was coming up soon. Yeah, I just double-checked. It It premieres when we're recording this tomorrow, which is the 15th. I, I messed this up for you. <laughs> I'm <laughs> so sorry. I'm up, so Jill. sorry. Well, look, it's a great movie. That's the only thing that I... The only really criticism I had from it. You know, the story is really compelling. The characters are... Very intriguing in in and of themselves from a historical standpoint. Malcolm X, uh, you know, Muhammad Ali, Jim Brown, Sam Cooke, Leslie Odom Jr. is Sam Cooke. He's one of my favorite He's musicians really from, from that era. If there's going to be, you know, I would say Kingsley Benadir and Leslie Odom Jr. have the best shot of getting a nomination. I, for this I think group. it's. It's probably Leslie Odom Jr. Uh, I, I like K- Kingsley Benadire, but I I don't think I don't think people are going to appreciate it, especially when it comes. Well, I don't know. Malcolm X is such as like a divisive character in, in terms mm-hmm. of like American history, and you know, yeah, sure. Based off of curriculum, Malcolm X is not a well taught person uh, for what he actually did. True. So I don't I don't know if that's going to help. No. Well, I was going to say about Sam Cooke, uh, not the actor necessarily, but just Sam Cooke himself. I fucking love him, man. I mean, his music catalog has always been one of my favorites from that old school kind of like pre-Motown era. Uh, I actually just put him on my 100 G-Tunes, Dan, that I did that I recorded today for you guys, for the patrons. Oh, uh, I immediately so deleted that, and then I deleted my patronage. Oh, cool. Perfect. All right. Well, Sam <laughs> Cooke made that list, just so you know. I guess you'll never hear it. Uh, but I tell you who will get a nomination is Regina King. Yes. If that if that doesn't happen, I'll fucking oh. I'll be absolutely flabbergasted that she doesn't. Uh, the Academy loves her anyway, and this is her directorial debut, and she fucking just killed it. Uh, it's just a very sure-handed effort, and it was an amazing film. The performances in her direction were definitely the star. So one night in Miami, I'm surprised if I'm being honest, Dan, because I've I follow you pretty closely. I didn't know that one. I I thought maybe it would be in your top ten, but I didn't know it would be your number two. It was of, it was number four. For a long time, uh, mm-hmm. after we saw it, at, or after I saw it at nine one nine, and then the film independent screening really helped. Yeah, uh, watching sure. it again and really absorbing everything because, sure. like, I I think one, and this is more on me than it's on the movie, but like there are black issues that I don't understand. Like I understand like the high level black issues, but then they started getting getting into like more, I guess, granular stuff that mm-hmm. like I don't understand. Mm-hmm. And so to hear them talk about that the first time, I was just like kind of very confused. But now hearing it again and kind of having like hearing more conversations sure, about it right. i understand it better and so i can appreciate that i get it man so one night in miami is your number two uh my number two could possibly be a bit of contention between you and i dan but you know i'm just gonna tell you um you know why i love it and why it's my number two film of the year uh and there's really a couple components that are from a film aspect that really made it such a high mark for me but it's a movie that just came out about a month ago maybe like mid-december on amazon prime i know it it screened at Sundance early in the year, but I obviously just saw it this past December. But it's a movie called Sound of Metal. Is my number two. Dan, I know you saw it. Amanda, have you seen no, Sound of Metal? It's, uh, right. it's interesting. I literally had a friend 
messaged me last night when I was uh, getting ready for bed that was like, you need to watch Sound of Metal. And mm-hmm. uh, the option was to get enough sleep for work tomorrow or watch <laughs> that. And um, I had to opt for and, being okay at work. <laughs> and doing this and doing this with me. And I'm doing sure this. You yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's my fault at the end. I get oh, it. Oh, of course. Of well, course. Uh, of course. Gerald yeah. does well, suck. Let's always remember that, everybody. Anything you can blame on Gerald, do. Hashtag Gerald sucks. I mean, I love this movie. It was a emotional journey, this film. You know, I, I sat down to watch it, like I said, about a month ago. And I, I thought, like, okay, I might like it. Um, I actually tweeted after watching it because I watched it like the first night it came on Prime. So I love Riz Ahmed and he was the lead in this. So I was like, I'm going to watch it. And I didn't have any really expectations going into it. I just wanted to watch a new movie. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes you just want to see something new and fresh and like whatever. But I said, you know, you guys are sleeping on this. Where it, where have people been like mentioning this? And then like a week later, it was all anybody was talking about. And now Riz Ahmed. You're Ahmed's a trendsetter, con- Gerald. Riz Ahmed's in the conversation, you know, for Academy Awards. God, I hope so. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul Paul Racy, who's an amazing supporting role in this film. I hope he gets a nomination. Uh, I don't think Olivia Cook's Oscar worthy necessarily, but she uh, really brings some levity to the film and some kind of like uh, is a character that we can connect to as a quote unquote normal person um, in this film. But this this film was an emotional ride. I mean, just to give everybody, if you don't know, I mean, Riz Ahmed plays Ruben, who is a heavy metal drummer, uh, and they he's kind of in this semi popular rock band with his girlfriend uh, Lou in the film, played by Olivia Cook, and they're the two bandmates. And throughout the first act of the film, we learn that he is basically losing his hearing, and as the film progresses, he becomes fully deaf. Uh, he has no hearing at all. And we also learn that he's battling from a past addiction to substance abuse and things like that that are kind of playing into his story as well. And so the story kind of plays out from there. I don't want to give too, too much away, but the film is about acceptance. It's about dealing with our lot in life. And the reason why this is my number two film, and I'm not even exaggerating here, uh, is really because of Riz Ahmed's performance. I mean, this guy, uh, and Amanda, I know you've done different stuff on stage and whatnot, but from an acting perspective, all right, this guy not only learned to drum, rock and roll, heavy metal drum, which I've never played the drums, but I can't imagine that's something you learn overnight, okay? He did that. He also learned sign language. Okay, he's now fluent in sign language. I've seen interviews with him. Uh, He can fully speak sign language now. He taught him just those two things alone. uh, You know, he taught himself the amount of devotion and dedication that he put into this role to be sensitive to those types of communities that were being represented in the film. I I mean, I'm just like in awe of it. Like, I can't even fathom, (laughs) you know, taking the time to develop that type of authenticity to something that I'm that I'm trying to accomplish. And I'm a piece of crap, you know what I mean? But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just can't see myself doing that. So just that devotion to the role really, really impressed me. Um, and then on top of that, I feel like it's a phenomenal performance. You know, Dan and I had a conversation a couple weeks ago when he saw it. Oh, we almost came to fucking blows. And one of, one of us is going to drive uh, the other person's house. <laughs> you know, I was I was giving you shit, Dan, but you know, at the end of the day, I was just kind of like trying to understand because I had to step out of my own, you know, kind of like viewpoint, which is fine because obviously there's different. No, we're not going to have the same viewpoint on everything, you know. So I get it, but you know, when I watch it, I just see like holy shit! Like this guy came to work every day, and he was like, "I'm going to make these people believe that I'm deaf and that my life has been turned upside down." And that was what I got from his portrayal. Now, he's in 
fucking, I don't know, Dan, 90% of this screen time of this film. I mean, he's in almost every frame of this movie. Yes. Uh, you know, Paul Racy, who plays kind of his mentor in the film and runs this kind of recovery center that um, Ruben ends up going to, Amanda, mm-hmm. is, dude, there's one scene in this film. <laughs> Jesus. I don't want to get choked up right now talking about it. But when his character's name's Joe, and when Joe is talking to Ruben, and Ruben's, you know, kind of battle throughout this film is that he wants to hear again. Like he needs his hearing because he wants to be a drummer, because he wants to be with Lou, because he wants to be on the road. Like that's his life. Do you know what I mean? And he thinks that that all goes back to if he can't hear, he can't do that stuff. So his focus is getting his hearing back. And there's this one scene where, where Joe's telling him, who's also deaf, by the way, and he's, he's kind of mentoring him and he's telling him, he, you know, in order to get better, you have to be okay mm-hmm. with not being able to hear anymore. And he has a scene that plays out where he's telling him, he's like, we're not trying to heal this, and he points to his ears, we're trying to heal this. And he points to his heart. Uh, and he's trying to get Ruben to realize that the recovery that he needs has nothing to do with this disadvantage he has from his from his ears, uh, which is a newfound thing that he's that he's come upon. I, you know, I don't want to drone on about it, Amanda. I know you haven't seen it. I re- highly recommend you watching it. I know Dan liked it, but he's somewhat lukewarm on it. Dan, did you want to say anything about Sound of Metal? It's my number two. I don't like that screenplay. That screenplay, there, there's two leaps in this movie that make no sense. And kind of break it for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to say what those two leaps are, but one is very early and one is about halfway through. And when both of those happen, I went, wait, that doesn't, neither of those things make sense. Like we, we've, it's like we skipped 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. In Which could be, it could be an editing thing as well. We, like, uh, so I, I, yeah, you're right. It could be editing, but there's, there, it feels like there's, you know, 20 minutes missing from this movie that explain why we've gotten from one point to another and mm-hmm. then move from a character shift to another. Right. And I know what you're talking about. And I'll, I'll just retort. I mean, you're not wrong, but I will retort by saying there's a couple scenes that are short um, that are inserted to help kind of lead us along that path. There's one where, um, you know, he has a phone call in the diner with his sponsor, I guess, or whoever was sponsoring him through addiction. Um that kind of leads a little bit to that. And then it comes up again a little bit later when he's selling the RV that he was attached to. So there's a couple things sprinkled in there. And I don't know that if it's a script issue. I mean, to quote you, I don't read screenplays, Dan. Right. <laughs> what you said. But in watching the movie, I don't know if it's a script issue or if they cut some stuff out of the movie for you know, for a time's sake. Mm-hmm. But I agree with you that the film has to make a decision where is it going to go this route? to really dive into the to the deep part of this thing, or is it going to go this route to kind of tell a more kind of curtailed story of the deafness? Uh, and, you know, it worked for me. I, I understand your criticism, and I, and I see that too, uh, but it didn't bother me as much as apparently it did you. Yeah. Right. Sound of Metal. Amanda, check it out. I think you'll like it. Riz yeah. Ahmed. Uh, get ready to see his name in lights uh, this, this award season, I would imagine, uh, for this film. So, all right, that's my number two. That's my runner-up. We're up to our number ones. Amanda, you had Boy State at number two. What is your number one? One film of 2020. Here we go. So I don't think this is going to surprise you, Gerald. But say it. My number one is Promising Young Woman. You're goddamn right. It is. Uh, that is Emerald- the correct answer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, from writer and director Emerald Fennell. Uh, sure. Oh my god. Oh my god. This movie blew me away. 
Um, I was very lucky to be able to to um, watch it. I'll just say, and uh, <laughs> thank you, Gerald. And oh sure. my god, uh, yeah. When I finished watching this, I messaged Gerald and was just like a fucking masterpiece. My assistant tells me that you're interested in resuming med school. I left under unusual circumstances. Huh. You remember the accusations made against Alexander Monroe? I don't. He took a girl back to his room. You know, we get accusations like this all the time. So it's a he said, she said situation. What would you have me do? Ruin a young man's life? Was it reported? Yes. Do you know who she spoke to? You. Well, the doctor's here. It's every guy's worst nightmare getting accused like that. Really? <laughs> Can you guess what every woman's worst nightmare is? <laughs> what do you want? I don't know. You seem nervous. Oh. I, you know, I don't want to say too much right now. I want Dan to comment because he actually watched it a couple nights ago as well. It's amazing that all oh, three of us have seen it. Oh, you gave her your film independent thing. Yes, yes. Look at you. We watched it through film. Friend. We watched yes. it through film independent. <laughs> but it's actually fortunate that all three of us got to to see this. I'm going to be talking about it later. I'm literally like. I'm clenching my hands together, avoiding jumping all over this because I don't want to steal your spotlight, Amanda. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I know Dan's seen it as well. Uh, hopefully, Dan's changing his number one to Promising Young no, Woman uh, via whatever it was. <laughs> no. uh, but if not, Amanda, Dan, what did you think of this one? Do you want to mention anything about Promising Young Woman? So this is, I, I had a very unfortunate double feature, which is uh, the uh, which is what I'm dubbing uh, people are terrible to women double feature, mm -hmm. which was never rarely, sometimes always. And this, oh, and yikes. like, uh, I, I think I got kicked in the dick too many times by never rarely, sometimes always to like truly appreciate this because that movie is like, like I said, it, it is many gut punches in a row. So like he, like everything in this movie doesn't surprise me. Like, like everything that transpired. Hold on. Hold no, 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 no. I don't mean like the actual screenplay. I mean like the, like, Based on what it, the inciting event is and everything that happens around that inciting event mm -hmm. doesn't surprise me how everyone handles it and everyone like blows past it now. And the like, reaction, one person, right. One person fixates on it and everybody else is just like, that happened like seven years ago. Who gives a fuck? Oh, yeah, sure. Oh, yeah, that's, that's, what, I mean. that's true. what I mean. I, mm -hmm. I don't mean like I, I saw everything happen. Gerald, I even texted you like, wow. That was unexpected. You said that. Yeah, that was unexpected. <laughs> Uh, let me, uh, Dan, how about you give your number one last? Because this is also yeah, my sure. number one, Amanda. Yeah, go for it. yeah so you and I can kind of uh, tag team. Yeah, so, Amanda, I'm going to throw it back to you. But real quick, uh, just because there's so much fucking shit I want to say about this movie. Yeah. So I haven't gotten a chance to talk about it, obviously. And I've been kind of holding on to it on the show. Uh, folks that follow me on Twitter, uh, you know, it's funny because... <laughs> <laughs> you know how Twitter will do that thing where it has your frequently used GIFs or whatever? Yeah. 
like all of mine are promising young woman. Like when you pull up my frequently used, like the last ten are from this movie. Is your number uh, one her in the rainbow wig applying lipstick? It's yes, yeah, actually that's up there. Yeah, that one. Her marking the 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 dashes in her notebook. Her knocking on Alfred Molina's door. I, I mean, come on, guys. The, uh, Emerald Fennell, female filmmaker, female empowerment to the hilt. A very stylized. Um, form of filmmaking too. This is like a candy coated pop art uh, come to life. Oh, there's yeah. so many, there's so many bright colors and beautiful imagery. There's so much like levity and lightheartedness and fun in this movie. And this is a dark, like horrid film at mm-hmm. at its core. But you have so much fun with it. Bo Burnham is a goddamn hilarious. Like, just kills it in this movie. Uh, I don't want to spoil anything for the last act, so I'll just leave it at that. Mm-hmm. But his his character on screen, when he's on screen, is so charismatic. You fall in love with him. Cassie falls in love with him. It's part rom-com. It's part horror. It's part revenge thriller. There's this. There's a scene in the movie when she's talking to McLovin. I can't remember the uh, Christopher Mintz Plus. Yeah. And he's one of the dudes or whatever. And she's kind of like counsel, you know, whatever you want to say to him, you know. And there's like literal thunder rumbling in the background that you would hear in a horror movie. When when they when Emerald Fennell will like close up on Cassie's face and like you'll hear that loud crash of thunder. Uh, when the Roman numerals come on the screen, the overlay of the Roman numerals, you hear that loud thud like. Yeah. Like that dramatic thud. Mm -hmm. Like this is fun. I was watching this with a movie last night with my wife last night, guys. Uh, by the way, I hope you guys know, as I'm talking to you about this, I have goosebumps. I'm not kidding. Uh, it could be because I'm cold as well. I'm in my garage. But anyway, uh, I'm watching this with my <laughs> with my wife last night, and there's a scene in it when Carrie Mulligan, who, by the way, is if she doesn't win the Academy Award, I, I'm moving to Canada. But anyway, uh, she's she they, they have a close-up of her. <laughs> they have a close-up of her in the coffee shop, right? And there's this, there's this like, uh, blue, like baby blue artwork behind yep. her, and it's it's shot in a way to resemble like the Lady Madonna almost. Yep. And Emerald Fennell holds the shot on her for like easily 10, 15 seconds. Uh, the music drops in this movie. Oh my God. No. Jesus fucking Christ, guys. Like <laughs> this, I, what I was going to say, and then I'm going to throw it back to Amanda, is I'm watching it with my wife and I'm literally like, they show that shot of her in front of that artwork and I'm like, Emerald, I'm like, make your movie. Like this is literally a fucking like... You are literally giving a clinic to any like up and coming filmmaker that wants to like just put art on screen. Like, and I cannot believe this is her first film. Like, this is literally an amazing masterwork, in my opinion. Amanda, it's your number one, too. What do you want to say about it? Yeah. Uh, okay. So, second, all of that. Um, so, the, <laughs> the theme of my top five, uh, you know, minus Boy State, seems to be aesthetic as well. Uh, like you said, uh, the, the colors, the, the, w- the juxtaposition of visually sometimes like how bright and colorful it is in the same way that like Palm Springs is, but Mm -hmm. then the darkness of the subject matter that's going on. It's just Mm -hmm. brilliant. And uh, like you said, Carrie Mulligan deserves all the praise, all the awards, uh, Emerald Fennell as well, which I knew her as an actress first. uh, Yeah. She's in this movie too. Did Did you catch that? Yes, uh, blowjob lips. Um, <laughs> That's yes. right. Yeah, she had a cameo in it. I'm like, wait a second, hold on. 
Uh, yes. Yeah, that was her. I, I didn't mention either. This is the last movie I saw in the theater. I got to see this uh, like a few days after Christmas in an empty theater. And, you know, that probably heightened it for me. I want to say it probably would have still been my number one. But seeing this on the big screen, like, uh, this- Amanda, I can't remember. Amanda, did I message you after? I can't remember if I did, but I messaged like so many people after because I couldn't move. Yeah. <laughs> like I was literally sitting there like the fucking usher came in with the broom or whatever. It's like, dude, are you going to fucking like Sir, leave? Get the this fuck fucking- out. <laughs> yeah, I believe you were like, oh, God, Amanda, you do need to see this before we record. And I was like, yes. uh, don't know if I'm going to get to. Oh, my God. Like, yeah, this movie. I mean, I know I met like I said, I messaged you a fucking masterpiece. I just cried for like 10 minutes after this movie, mm-hmm. just like processing it. And that was when my a friend, I reviewed it on Letterboxd and Instantly, I had a message that was like, how did you see this movie? Why are you so lucky? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, that's how I felt when I saw it, too. Yeah, it uh, just, it really blew me away. uh, And it's truly the only movie I have seen from 2020 that I felt like, you know, we said C plus year for movies. I just felt like so many were mediocre and just like, oh, okay, whatever. And then this absolutely blew me away. I'd heard the hype. It lived up to all of it. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, too. Thank you for mentioning that. You know, and I I feel bad taking away from from Dan's time. I could literally talk about this movie all night, but I agree with you. So what was really great about this movie, too, and why I think it's ultimately my number one is because this has been one of my most anticipated movies of the year since like January. Yeah. Because I don't know if you I don't know if you guys remember this had like a March 15th release date or something. Yeah, it was supposed Uh, to come out. Yeah, it Almost came to Sundance, year, yeah. and then, mm-hmm, yeah. So for me to be, like, that hyped about something for, like, nine, ten months, and for it to still blow me away, because usually when the expectation is so high, it tends to be a letdown because it just can't live yeah. up to it. Do you know what I mean? So you want to hear this, this movie come did. full circle? I saw the trailer for this in the theater when I saw Birds of Prey. Well, there you go. And my friend Jessica and I turned to each other, and we were like, oh, hell yes, we're watching this. Yeah. I want to talk about the casting a little bit too, Go ahead, real fast. Yeah. In uh, I know you mentioned Bo Burnham is in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also have a whole series of television, quote unquote, nice guys. Yeah, that, yeah absolutely. Like Christopher Mince Plus. I mean, he's more movies with uh, Super Bad, but you also have uh, the um, Schmitty from New Girl. Yeah, Schmidt from Schmidt. New Girl. You've yep. got. Adam Brody from, from um, yeah, what's the dude from, Dan the, will know from oh, um, Glow, Glow. Bash. yes, yeah, Bash from Glow, yeah, yeah, Bash from Glow, and from uh, he's also in well, he was in Private Practice, and he was also in mm-hmm. um, older Veronica Mars. You've mm-hmm. got Adam Brody, like I said, from the OC and Gilmore Girls, like all of these guys that are considered like the nice guys in yep. television and things in Hollywood, and I just love the brilliance of the casting of them, where they're the quote-unquote nice guys who are really assholes because i can mm-hmm. tell you as a woman i know so many fucking guys who say they're a nice guy and they're actually an asshole and like you said dan uh, yeah this is it, this movie felt so real and just like gerald i don't want to give away the third act but mm-hmm. that third act is so fucking honest and truthful yeah. and I just was like, yes, I so like watching this. I just wanted to be like, please, everyone watch this movie and understand this is what we go through all the fucking time. I can't tell you how many times I've been (laughs) at a bar and had somebody's tongue shoved down my throat for no reason other than I was dancing with my friends. (laughs) 
when I left the theater, I wanted to cut my own dick off. Like, uh, this is a, a fucking, you mentioned it, it's a fucking masterpiece. That's all That's all yeah. I can say. I can't follow you up. I mean, that was perfect, Amanda. Okay. Promising Young Woman, my number one, your number one. Ugh. Amanda, let's do another episode where we literally just t- don't even like do an episode, really. We just like gush about Promising Young Woman. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Let's do it. Um. <laughs> all right. That's our, that's our number one here. Dan, I, don't, I hate I hate this. How are you going to follow that up, Dan? What's your number one, man? What do you got? Oh, my number one. Uh, I mean, this has been my number one since like mid-June when I first watched it. Oh, wait a minute. What? Uh, yeah. So uh, this is Dan. Uh, directed by Andrew Lawrence. Stars Adam Copeland, Kelsey Grammer, Thomas Jane, Denise Richards. <laughs> uh, I'm, of course, speaking about Money Plane. <laughs> oh, my Jesus God. You Christ. did it. So, so money plane. Uh, basically, it's a professional thief uh, who is like forty million dollars oh in debt to God. Kelsey Grammer. Are you trying plays, to like just uh, Darius ruin this whole Rouse episode? The, third, the Rumble, the baddest motherfucker on the planet. And I'm just fucking with you, Gerald. It's of course Nomadland, starring Francis McDormand, directed by Chloe Zhao. Well, you know what? I wrote down a Nomad Land before you started talking. I marked it out. I was waiting to see what came out in June. You started talking. I'm like, I wrote Nomad Land again. So I have it written down here twice. <laughs> um, I, I love this one too, man. I also had a chance to see this. Uh, yeah, talk about it, man. Yeah, so uh, so Money Plane is pretty great. No, uh, Money Plane's... Money Plane... Uh, we'll talk about Money Plane later. Uh, Nomad Land... This was... The one from Film Fest 919 that I was like, I need to see this. I don't care, Gerald. I don't care. I, were, I, I will pay money for us to see this movie yeah. because, like, mm-hmm. we were getting what? It was like a free movie, basically. It's like week. one a week or something. Yeah, yeah. But I got and you in there, man. There was there was a week where it was like we wanted to watch. I want to say it was like Fat Man or something, mm-hmm. and. Like, we were doing that for the free movie, and I was going to pay for this one. I had no problem doing that. Uh, this is a an introspective look into the nomadic culture that is currently going on in America, like, with some Americans, like, typically older Americans, senior citizens who, like, I guess want some form of independence still. And what I really connected to was Frances McDormand's character because... W- it looks like she's going through a depressive episode. Anybody knows me uh, knows I go through depressive episodes all the fucking time. Mm-hmm. So just like kind of seeing her do, do her thing, like uh, there's a sequence on uh, New Year's Eve where like she's she's wearing like the the the, the dumb little hat thing. She's got sparklers. And she's like Happy New Year, Happy New Year, and then you know, quick cut to her and her in her van, just very silent, trying to you know do things on her own. And I felt a, a an actual connection to that because that's how i felt like going around people was i would just put on a performance for about four or five hours get exhausted by that and then hang out by myself for a week at a time mm-hmm. so like I, I i truly connected with it on on that level mm-hmm. i know that's probably not everyone's read on the movie everyone's going to say oh well this is a really cool introspective look at this character and how she deals with the fact that her town basically disappeared off the map like uh yeah right they said it was, i think it's i don't know exactly when it takes place but like basically this town of uh like a hundred thousand or so people uh when a when a factory closes in it in january of july that year the postal service removed that zip code from mm-hmm. their registry like that town mm-hmm. ceased 
cease to exist. Damn. It was like an Amazon warehouse or whatever. Right. right. Well, uh, the, that's where she goes to work is like there's now a place to move where she goes. And I guess she moved to a different location so that okay. she, was like, she could like substitute teach. But then after her husband died, she's like, well, I got nothing. I'm just going to go do this nomad thing. Mm-hmm. And so it's like her, it's her yearly journey about like her starting to get close to people and then, you know, they'll go away. And there's a lot of sh- like still shots of like her standing next to her van and there's mm-hmm. this wide open space as she walk- watches this person drive away. And yep. those are those are always symbolic of the fact that like, hey, she can't let anybody get, no- get close to her anymore and all that matters to her is the wide open space. Yeah, I mean, Chloe Zhao fucking Jesus, killed it. Dude. Uh, an absolute just... I just marvel at the filmmaking aspect of this. The story part is intriguing too, which is what you were touching on, Dan. Francis McDormand's going to get a nomination. Chloe Zhao's going to get a nomination, but the Chloe actual going to win, Gerald. Yeah, she should. Yeah, I think she will as well. She'll get my vote. But I think that the nomad, the actual nomads in this film, right. Linda May, particularly the older lady that she befriends in the early part of the film when she's telling the story about her dogs in her apartment uh, when she knew when, you know when she was suicidal. You know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about, Dan? That yep. one scene that plays out. I mean, I teared up, and that was early in the film that was in the first like 15 20 minutes of the movie yeah and what you're talking about there is the fact that these are not actors like for them there, right. there's some actors in the movie obviously francis norman and other there are some other actors but sure yeah it's a pseudo documentary too like it's kind of you know taking into account like these other nomads who who actually live this lifestyle and like hear their story and hear why why they're doing what they're doing and like i said it's mm-hmm. for for the most part a lot of them are uh depressed alone have nobody else and there's this community of for them that's you know very accepting and for other people it's like that last form of release like um i think her name is uh spanky i think it's her mm-hmm. name uh she's another one that's great in it yep yeah she she has like cancer and she's like i'm not spending another day in the hospital like i'm i'm gonna live my life as much as i can and when i die i die and mm-hmm. I, I just want to make sure i can get back to alaska and, you know because that was the place where that that touched me the most and like i kind of so like that stuff like i don't connect to as much because i fucking hate the outdoors like you have joked me <laughs> when are we doing this and i went never because i need my video games but uh right. like like i said the the whole i see, I see myself doing this in 10 years oh I'm yeah well, tell sure. you guys yeah my, my thing was always like my own personal connect. I got what I needed out of it, which is something what I'm not sure that Chloe Zhao intended to get out of it or it to, like intended to put into it. Right. Uh, and which is great. I, I mean, think that's great. those are my favorite experiences. And like, for instance, La La Land. Like that was a, that's a send up of old Hollywood and all that stuff. Uh, but what I took out of that was you don't need somebody to complete you. Uh, mm-hmm. And I needed that, that at that time. And this is I didn't need the message of like because there's really no like bright side to the story. It's just like you're just going to continue in a cycle. Unfortunately, that's what I got out of it. But uh, all right. I don't know. Like th- so this this didn't hit me as hard as say a La La Land, but still great filmmaking. Oh, amazing. I mean, amazing. It's definitely among my favorite of the year, too which we'll talk about here in a moment. So Nomad Land is your number one. Uh, guys, we're running along, but real quick, Amanda, just give a wrap-up of what your top five was again. Yeah, my top five, uh, number five, Birds of Prey, number four, Mank, number three, Palm Springs, number two, Boys State, and number fucking one, Promising Young Woman. I'm going to buy you a bicycle, Amanda. All right. Dan, <laughs> What was your top five? My top five was uh, five, The Invisible Man. Four, Trial of Chicago 7. Three, Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always. Two, One Night in Miami. And number one, Nomadland. And my top five was Swallow, Baby Teeth, Possessor, Sound of Metal, and of course, Motherfucking Promising Young Woman with a goddamn bullet. Absolutely. No question. All right, so 
Let's do a quick promo break, guys. As if this isn't running long enough, I want to add another 60 or 90 seconds here. And when we come back, we're going to give our honorable mentions, and then Dan, Amanda, and myself are going to tell you what we thought the worst movie that we saw in 2020 (laughs) was. We will be right back. Hello, listeners. Did you know that there is a lot more content where this episode came from? As you may know, we are an independent podcast and we rely on donations in order to keep going. Over on our Patreon site, you will find several ways to stretch your dollar. I am currently producing six exclusive series that you can only get there. They include popular ones such as My First Time and 100 G-Tunes. You'll also get regular main top five episodes, just like this one, super early, often weeks in advance. For as little as $1, you can help the show continue. Just visit us over at patreon.com slash two peas on a pod, or you can check the show notes for this very episode. Now let's get back to the countdown. All right, everyone, welcome back. So we hope you enjoyed our favorite movies of 2020, and we're going to give you what we thought the worst piece of shit that we saw in 2020 was. But before we do that, you're on the peas, guys. So we're running long, so just run through them and list them real quick. But Amanda, did you round out your top 10 as I, you're supposed to do on the peas here or not? I did. I Go for it. This was a little rough. So yeah, yeah this is where I was like, ooh, I can do five. But finding 10 yeah, that I really liked was kind of <laughs> difficult, but... Um, these first three definitely there. Uh, the King of Staten Island. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that one. Uh, which I just adored. Uh, I, I know I might get shit from this one. I have for from some of my comedy friends for liking this, and I don't care, guys. Um, but Eurovision Song Contest. Oh, nice. <laughs> made me laugh so much. Uh, my husband and I adored this movie. Um, I've got Da Five Bloods. Spike Lee, mm, uh, Spike. Mm-hmm. Delroy Lindo definitely should be in the Oscar conversation. 100%. Uh, the Assistant, which mm-hmm. another one. female-led and directed movie. Uh, just, oh boy, if you want a trio of movies where men treat women horribly, The Assistant, yeah, you, you can add that on there. If you weren't the triple threat of <laughs> all time in order for feeling bad, that's, that's yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Should have turned that into a triple feature, Dan. Yeah. Uh, okay. Gerald, I, I would have like... <laughs> There's have no you seen the assistant it. dan oh yeah i've seen all three yeah i saw okay. it back in july gotcha. yeah, i saw it in, I, that's actually one of the last ones i saw in the theater it's coming up in my honorable mentions also yeah and then this one i threw in there because i really enjoyed it but it's listing as a movie is kind of questionable but uh hamilton i got a lot of shout outs online I'll actually allow it. Yeah, a lot of shout outs online. Dan, what honorable mentions did you have, man? Just list them real quick. Okay. Uh six, Death of Twenty Twenty. Hey, there you go. Yeah, there there it is, Gerald. Uh seven, Duffy Bloods. Eight okay. Palm Springs. Nine. Mm-hmm. Very nice Borat subsequent movie film. And uh, <laughs> number ten, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. That's a good one. Oh, good, good, good list there, man. You guys mentioned all my honorable mentions with the exception of one. My number six would have been Nomad Land, which Dan just talked about at his one. My number seven would have been Palm Springs. My number eight would have been The Assistant. The only thing I want to say about that, uh, in addition to what Amanda said earlier, is Julia Garner is a goddamn revelation in that film. Another actress that I think is going to sadly uh, be overlooked, much like my Haley Bennett pick in Swallow, but just gives a just a tremendous performance in that movie. Uh, my number nine would have been a film called Minari. And my number 10 would have been Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always, which Dan talked about earlier. So that rounds out my top 10. Uh, my top 20 guys will be on my letterbox a couple days after this episode airs if you want to take a look at some films that you can check out. 
Now, guys, we've been talking about good movies, right? <laughs> Including Money Plane, Dan. However, yeah. what was the worst movie we saw in 2020? Amanda, did you want to take a stab at what you thought the biggest pile of shit was that you put eyes on? Yeah, so... As I said, I, I watched mostly older films throughout most of the year, just, uh, you know, because it was a rough year. But as far as new releases, and I'm going to call these the most disappointing. Mm -hmm. And there are two rom-coms that I just found to either be, eh, all right, or have some great performances, but then also some characters that were absolutely despicable. So those two that tied for me is just, uh so disappointing were... Um, <laughs> Love Wedding Repeat, which was a Netflix rom-com, mm -hmm. and Happiest Season, which I Whoa! wanted to love. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, now Amanda. you two can fight. Uh, Amanda, we're breaking up on air right now. No! <laughs> oh, Happiest Season. I fucking love that movie. I, um, I mean, I know it's not, I know it's flawed, but I don't know that I would be listing it under my worst of the year. So I'm a little disappointed well, in it, but that's I'm fine. Saying it's the most disappointing <laughs> for me because I, I think there were good parts in both of these uh, performances, particularly uh, comedic performances with Happiest Season, loved Dan Levy, um, yeah, sure. loved yeah, Aubrey Plaza, loved Mary Holland, uh, Kristen Stewart, fantastic, mm -hmm. but her girlfriend and her parents were so insufferable. I just couldn't stand most of the movie. Yeah, the ending I hated. And I've talked about this on another episode. I went on and, and reviewed it on the Epic Film Guys. But the, the last like 20 minutes of the movie, I fucking hated. But the first two thirds of the movie, I just was so it was in other words, it was like a five star movie for me until the last 20 minutes. Yeah. So like, it's still it still ended up being like a three point five. I mean, it was it was good. OK. It ended up being a two point five for me. And I feel like both of these movies just embody like the premise of both of them. I should have fucking loved them. Lesbian mm -hmm. rom-com at Christmas? Yes. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, I'm into it. Love Wedding All right, well. I should have loved it, but both are just eh. <laughs> Actually, I feel like I like that one, too. Is that the one with Olivia Munn in it? It is. Yeah, it is. And that's what I mean. It's like there's some great performances. <laughs> I like that one, too. And the comedy in it is great, but then there's other stuff. Oh, Again, man. characters, horrible. Just uh, be better. Yeah, no, I hear you. Dan, what was the worst movie you saw in 2020, man? All right, it, it wasn't the thing I mentioned earlier. Uh, despite the fact that Money Plane is a trash can dumpster fire, uh, mm -hmm. it's still like pretty pretty fucking entertaining because it's just so bad. Uh, no, but the worst movie I saw last year with a bullet is The Last Days of American Crime. Uh, mm, I don't know that one. Okay, so it's a Netflix original. Uh, it's directed by Olivier Megaton. What is that name? Uh, yeah, it, what? Gerald, Gerald, it's 148 minutes. Oh, fuck that movie. Why? Gerald. Uh, it's, <laughs> exactly. It's, uh, the the main four character uh, characters are uh, Edgar Ramirez. You guys would know him as Gianni Versace in uh, The Assassination of Gianni Versace. Michael Pitts, <laughs> Anna Brewster, and Charlotte Copley. You know, the guy who says no to nothing anymore. Um, <laughs> he really doesn't. It's fuck, man. Like, I, I heard bad things. I saw it was two and a half hours, and I still went, eh, fuck it, I got time, uh, and yeah. watched this thing. Uh, mm, it is choice. overwrought. Uh, the premise is, gen like, the general premise is okay. It's, uh, like, like, America's about to, like, turn on, like, radio waves that, like, stop people from committing crimes, or, like, they'll explode. And uh, these guys have a way of working around that for 30 minutes, so they're going to commit the last crime of uh, of American history and escape to Canada. And uh, it's... <laughs> It's two wow. and a half hours. 
That's a 90-minute plot, and it's it's insufferable. All the characters are despicable. I hate them all. No one's likable. Edgar Ramirez is a wooden piece of wood. I can't take Fucking it. I, I, I can't believe I watched this movie. Wow, I can't either. I can't believe you made it through the whole thing. If nothing I else. did. I actually made it through the whole fucking thing. I finished the wow. whole movie. Holy shit. And I, uh, I'm right. alive to talk about it. Here you are, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, look, I'm not going to cheat and say The Grinch musical, although I wanted to kill myself. <laughs> Uh, during it, but I won't cheat because that was like a made-for-TV thing. So my worst movie that I saw aside from that was Fantasy Island, the Blumhouse fucking excuse for a horror movie that oh, was literally. I forgot that came out. I felt like I was watching my fucking mind stop, and it was like somebody was playing some kind of weird sick trick on me while I was sleeping or something. It was a fucking just out of body experience that I hated. But I mean, it's based on the '80s TV show in a way because it's like these young kind of like hot people arrive on this island and the the whole premise is kind of sci-fi i guess because they can uh you know kind of like have their darkest wishes come true so they can like you know have this fantasy and whatever their deepest darkest fantasy Mm -hmm. is they can live out and it ends up going very wrong uh there's no there's nothing scary in this movie it's marketed as a horror movie it's a blumhouse production literally nothing scary the acting is like these people just fucking walked in off the street and just started reading off of a piece of paper uh lucy hales in it i mean she's hot but this is <laughs> oh i mean if lucy hales in something easily walk the away. worst thing i've ever seen her do easily which for her is saying a lot yeah, because it's not if like lucy she's hales in anything you need to immediately shut it off Oh, God. So Fantasy Island would be my vote for the worst of the year, aside from the Grinch musical, which uh, I don't, I still don't know that that actually happened. I don't think I actually saw that. I just feel strange about it. Block but yeah, it the out. Grinch Block musical, it out. Uh, don't watch it at Christmas time or any, any other time. All right, guys. Uh, that was our 2020 episode. We're at two hours as we're sitting here. I don't know mm-hmm. how much editing I'm going to do on this episode, but holy <laughs> yes. shit, guys. But let's wrap up by just letting everyone know where to find you guys. It means so much to me. Thank you so much. You guys come back and do this every year. Amanda, what do you got going on? Huh? What do you want to point the people to? What do, what do you what do you want to direct them to over there? Uh, I'll direct people podcast wise right now. Um, I'm most active on Pod Appetit. Uh, so you can uh, Twitter is the best place for that. It's uh, at Pod underscore Appetite. We cover food media shows. Right now, we're doing the most recent season of Great British Bake Off or Great British Baking Show, depending on right. where you are in the world. And then um, if you want to keep track of more of my movie stuff, uh, currently I'm mostly doing that on my personal Twitter, which is at Manda Ailey. There you go. Thank you so much for being here, Amanda. You know I love you and I appreciate you coming back. Thanks, Gerald. Absolutely. Dan, uh, anybody do I need listening to this Do I need to, to this even show, do this? Like- yeah, anybody that listens to the show that, I mean, I guess maybe they wanted to hear movies and they haven't heard you. So if they're into Netflix, why don't you tell them where to find you and Caleb, man? Uh, com. It's your one-stop shop for all things Netflix. There it is. Netflix and Swill. I am a patron. Check those guys out. And I'm so sorry to everyone that submitted feedback in the old suggestion box for their favorite movies of 2020, but obviously we ran super long, as this is usually a mega episode. We're just so passionate we're... about film, Gerald. Of course we are. Promising Young Woman could have literally taken up the entire two hours, <laughs> and I had to somehow talk about four other ones. Yeah. So what am I going to do? <laughs> Um, but thank you guys. You guys had great list. Uh, any movies that you didn't see in 2020, guys, don't be fooled. There was a lot of great cinema that came out. Uh, oh, it's I was out fooled. there. 
it's out there. Check it out. Get on the streaming services. If you have the ability, if you're overseas or whatever, and you have the ability to go to the theater, do it. If not, click on that old remote and watch some of these films, namely Promising Young Woman. Am I right, Amanda? Uh, right. Hell yeah. It should be <laughs> right. a streaming to VOD by the time this comes out. It'll be streaming as we're talking, so absolutely. And a lot of the ones we mentioned, actually Nomad Land's coming to Hulu in February, I saw. February 12th, uh, I think. Yeah. Yeah, so a lot of these will be out if they're not already. Dan, Amanda, you guys are the best. Thank you so much for joining me for my 2020 episode, and we'll see you guys next time. Thank you so much for being here. All right, guys, until next week, we will be back with another regular top five and another pee on the pot. Take care.